Copenhagen, an inconvenient truth. As the world leaders struggle to agree on solutions at the climate change conference in Copenhagen, the Bible informs us about an inconvenient truth. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Welcome to the December 18th edition of Bible in the News. This is Glenn Abel with you. The news has been dominated lately with non-stop coverage of the United Nations Climate Change Conference in Copenhagen, Denmark. Billed as the crucial conference, the goal of the conference is to reach an ambitious global agreement for reductions in global emissions of carbon dioxide, which includes all the countries of the world. The crucial element in this conference is the claim that solutions must be implemented immediately or the world risks catastrophic results, including perhaps a new ice age. Is it possible that man can come up with a solution? The prophet Jeremiah succinctly stated in the 10th chapter, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. That's Jeremiah 10 verse 23. Yet it seems as though everywhere we go, we are bombarded with environmental propaganda, that man can solve the earth's problems, and that those who don't embrace the environmental message are sinners for not doing their part for the planet. We have been following the rise of this new morality for a number of years now, made famous by former U.S. Vice President Al Gore when he said, the political systems around the world have held this at arm's length because it is an inconvenient truth, because they don't want to accept that it's a moral imperative. It is ironic that some of the researchers who have informed us about the problem of climate change and global warming, and introduced us to their new morality, seem to have left the true morality behind. Here's a quote from a famous climatologist at Stanford. To capture the public imagination, we have to offer up some scary scenarios, make simplified dramatic statements, and little mention of any doubts one might have. Each of us has to decide the right balance between being effective and being honest. That's Stephen Schneider, PhD, climatologist at Stanford University. This type of dishonest science has been behind the almost universal acceptance of the theory of evolution in the absence of really any solid proof. Proverbs 8 verse 7 shows us that for Bible students, there is only one way to conduct our affairs. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. This is the kind of morality expected by the God who created heaven and earth. To be fair, Dr. Schneider is not alone in his approach. At the end of November, it was revealed that Dr. Phil Jones, one of the main players in climatic research, has been colluding with others to cook the books on global warming research and data. Apparently, someone hacked into the university computer systems, stole Dr. Phil's email history, and posted online details of damaging email correspondence. In some of the emails, he discussed using statistical tricks to mask apparent declines in global temperatures. Others outlined a scheme to boycott publications that accepts research papers which contradict the theory of global warming. 
With the Copenhagen conference about to begin, scientists, environmentalists, and politicians furiously circled the wagons and went into overdrive to try and minimize the damage caused by the revelations of the so-called climate gate affair. Their main motivation was to ensure their agenda of sealing the deal. In other words, pushing it through at all costs. They wanted to ensure that that did not get sidetracked at the conference. As the various groups expressed their beliefs and opinions on how to save the earth, they rest on a shaky assumption that man is in control. Bible students know that the opposite is in fact the case, as we read read in Psalm 95, verse 4 to 6, speaking of the Lord. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Israel of old discovered this fact time and again, that God is always in control. For example, in Amos 4, verse 7, we read, And also I have withholden the rain from you, when there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water. But they were not satisfied. Yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew, when your gardens and your vineyards and your fir trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. That's in Amos 4, verse 7 to 9. Did God want the Israelites to reduce their carbon footprint? Did he want herd reductions to limit methane gases? No, he wanted Israel to return to him and to obey him. As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. That's Ezekiel 33, verse 11. To be sure, God does not wish for men and women to desecrate and pollute his natural creation any more than he takes pleasure in the death of the disobedient. But he has specified the solution, and it is his solution, not up for discussion, negotiation, or compromise. The return of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the earth will cure all that ails this world, which is subject to sin, disease, and death. He will restore again the kingdom of Israel and usher an age of righteousness upon the earth. The justice and equity that man seeks will be administered by the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in Isaiah 11, verse 3 and 4. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And Isaiah 61, verse 11, For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. That which man has desolated will be repaired, beginning in Zion, as we read in Isaiah 61, verse 4, and they shall build the old wastes, they shall raise up the former desolations. 
They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. It seems that everyone wishes to rise to the occasion and answer their calling, to be a force for change, to do their part, to save the planet from disaster. And it is easy to get caught up in these sentiments. As servants of God, however, we must not waver from the Holy Scriptures and from the calling to which we have been called and the great and precious promises that we have been entrusted with. The great calling of our lives is not to save the earth, but to save men and women from their eternal death by introducing them to the hope of Israel. As our Lord said in Luke 9, verse 60, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. If we want to be zealous and make a stand, let us stand for that. Following the example of the Apostle Paul, who stated in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Let us conclude this week with the words of Isaiah 45, verse 22, and endeavor to point men and women to the true solution to the earth's problems. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Join us again next week, God willing, for another edition of Bible in the News.